Well, good evening, Friday night family. How's everyone doing tonight? Man, I'm telling you, this is almost not fair. We got a gospel worship leader. We have a missionary here. We got a house that's been just prayed up all afternoon. This, this, is, this is too easy. This is, we, I can't mess this up, right? I wanna say to all of our Friday night family, all of our guests, all of our friends, I wanna send you greetings from Midtown. My wife and I have been there for 17 years, 18 this August, and we love this city and we love this church that God has planted us in, and what an incredible blessing it is. I hope you guys know what a gift New Life Friday night is. I mean, come on, y'all can, y'all can clap. I mean, to have faithful men and women who come in here I heard earlier today that there are 150 people that get here at 5.15 every Friday and they pray for this environment. And if you're one of those 150, I just need to see your hands. Can you just lift up your hands? If you're one of the 150 that gather here, did they, did they pray and leave? Come on, give these guys a hand tonight. <laughs> Pastor William, what an incredible honor it is to sit at your table tonight, to sit under your prayers, to sit under your anointing, and we honor you and we bless you. Jason and Anna, thank you for your ministry at Joshua Nations. And I'm telling you tonight as you were praying, I just believe that there was something that was being imparted that there was a fire, there was a seed that was being sown, there was a fire that was, that was being lit inside of each and every one of our spirits tonight. And for the glory of Jesus and for the fame of his name and for his kingdom expanding to every unreached people group on the planet, let us not, let us not relent. Amen? Amen. God bless you, brother. If you're here with us tonight for the very first time, either in person or online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being with us. I'm just here to tell you there is no better place to be on a Friday night. There is no better place to be. Right, when's the last time that you went up in the club and they say, we have been praying for you to be here? <laughs> you have not gone to a basketball court, you've not been at a gym, you've not been to a poker table, and they've said, we've just been saturating this room with prayer for you to be here tonight. But I want you to know, if you're here with us tonight for the first time, or if you're joining us online, there have been people that have been praying for you, praying that you would meet with God praying that you would be overcome with an encounter with the God who loves you, the God who has created you, the God who sees you. And you're actually here on a really great night because we're four weeks into a series about who is God the Father. We're taking this for seven weeks. We're gonna be talking about the character, the attributes, the nature of our great, great God. And then for seven weeks leading up to Easter, we're gonna be talking about who Jesus Christ is, the Son. And then the week after Easter, leading all the way up to Pentecost Sunday, we're gonna be talking about who the Holy Spirit is. So if you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me tonight to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, we're gonna look at the first seven verses of Exodus 34. And tonight's gonna to be a unique night because we're gonna start with the end, then we're gonna work our way back into the beginning, and then we're gonna catch up. So Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse one. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Everybody say, like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. Everybody say, first tablets. Which you broke. I just love that. 
Like the Lord is just so straight up with Moses. I want you to get two more tablets, just like the first ones <clears throat> that you happened to break, right? So be ready in the morning, and then I want you to come up to the mountain and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And then he says this. He says, and by the way, don't bring Joshua. Don't bring Aaron. Don't bring Miriam. Don't bring the sheep. Don't bring backup. I want you and me alone to meet on the mountain. No one's to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. I got four kids. My two youngest are twin boys. They're eight years old. And my kids like backup when I call them into the room. They're like, dad, you know, you know that Kingston was a part of this too. I mean, like this wasn't a, a solo endeavor. Like God calls Moses up. He's like, we got some business we got to take care of just you and me, son. In verse four, it says, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. And he went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him and he proclaimed his name. He revealed his name to Moses. See, when God reveals his name, he reveals his heart. He reveals his identity. He reveals his character. He reveals his nature. Let me show you who I am. He proclaims to him in verse six, he passed in front of Moses and he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And yet I'm still righteous so I do not leave the guilty unpunished. Friends, let's pray tonight. Father, with every fiber of my being tonight, I am crying out to you for a fresh encounter and a fresh revelation with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm praying tonight, Lord, that what you did when you pulled Moses aside in a burning bush and you said, come near and take off your shoes, I've got something I wanna show you. God, I, I pray for that kind of encounter in this house. Lord, I pray that in the same moment when Moses goes up to Sinai and he's looking you face to face and he's speaking with you as he speaks with a friend, I'm praying tonight that you would encounter us in that way. Lord, I'm praying that tonight that our hearts would be opened afresh and anew, that our eyes would see the God who watches and the God who waits and the God who runs. And Father, tonight I pray that we would never be the same by a fresh encounter and a fresh revelation with the God of compassion, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you're here last week, you may recall one of the best messages I think I've ever heard around Genesis chapter three. Now, as a preacher, I like to listen to other preachers and study preachers. I mean, I get down into the minutia of mannerisms and how did they open up and how are they quoting the scripture and their cadence and their tone. And I'm telling you, last week's message was one of the best. When Pastor Daniel starts talking about losing his kids and he starts talking about, where are you? Where are you? I mean, I felt that with every fiber of my being. And if last week out of Genesis chapter three, Pastor Daniel talks with us about the God who sees, the God who pursues. Tonight, we could talk about the God 
who runs. The God who runs. Now, the past few weeks, we've been in Genesis chapter one. We've been talking about the fact that God is a God who creates, that he's a good God. He's the God who is. Last week, out of Genesis chapter three, we discovered that in spite of the fact that God created everything good, we took all of that and we messed it up and we've been messing it up ever since. And I'm gonna fast forward here. I'm gonna take you from Genesis chapter three to Exodus chapter 34 very, very quickly so that I can get down into the bones here of the fact that we have a God who runs after us with compassion. See, in Genesis chapter 12, God starts over with a man by the name of Abram. From the very beginning, God has been forming a family. That's been his heart. When God creates man, he creates woman. He's out of the overflow of the love that we find in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is forming a family. And because of our mistakes and our rebellion and our wickedness and our disobedience and our sin, we keep just messing up the plan and he keeps starting over. Let's, let's, let's get this family thing down. So in Genesis chapter 12, God pulls a man by the name of Abram aside and he says, son, if you'll follow me, I'm gonna make you a promise. In fact, if you follow me, I'm gonna make you into a great nation even though you don't have any children right now and you're well beyond the age of bearing children, you and your wife both. In fact, I'm gonna up the ante. If, if you follow me, son, and you leave your father's household and you leave your country and you follow me into a place that you know not of, I promise you this, not only will I make you into a great nation, but I'm gonna bless all of the nations of the earth through your life. I'm gonna bless Pakistan. I'm gonna bless Saudi Arabia. I'm gonna bless Israel. I'm gonna bless Yemen. I'm gonna bless Oman. I'm gonna bless Iran. I'm gonna bless your enemies if you will be faithful and follow me. And sure enough, Abram does this. And because God is a God of covenant, in just four generations, God begins to fulfill his promise. Abram has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac has twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. This is where we get the nation of Israel from, Israelites, the children of Israel, the people of Israel. Israel has 10 sons, and one of his sons, by the name of Joseph, has two boys, and Jacob comes along and he says, I'm just gonna adopt your two boys into my heritage. And this is where we get the 12 tribes that form the nation of Israel. Fast forward to the book of Exodus and we find that Jacob's sons are in a country that's not their own. They're refugees, they're immigrants. They settle down into a nation by the name of Egypt. And by the time they find themselves in Egypt, they have the favor of the Pharaoh and the king that's there. But after several generations and decades pass, there's new kings that arise and they do not know who Joseph is, they, they don't know who Jacob is, they don't know who Israel is, they don't know the history, they don't know the stories, they don't know the miracles, they don't know the promises. And so like any wicked king, they begin looking around and saying, there's a lot of these Jewish people that are in my country. In fact, they keep multiplying and they keep reproducing and if anything goes wrong, at any given moment, at any insurrection, this foreign people can rise up and become a real problem. And so the Pharaoh says, we're gonna overtake them by force. And we're gonna turn these people into our slaves. They're gonna be our, they're gonna be our workforce. And so for hundreds of years, the children of Israel find themselves in slavery in a land that's not their own, 
under wicked rulers. After the course of time, we find in the book of Exodus chapter three, verse seven, that God comes down and he meets with a man by the name of Moses. And he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Friends, tonight I want to remind you that you and I serve a God who is concerned about our suffering. We don't have a distant God who's unaware. He's not, a, he's not aloof. He's not indifferent. He's not unconcerned. He is a God who is concerned about every struggle and anything that brings you an amount of pain or anxiety or fear or concern in your life. I'm here tonight to promise you that God is concerned about that. And he is at work behind the scenes in the doctor's report that you just got that you didn't wanna get, I'm here to tell you tonight, he's behind the scenes and he's at work because he cares and he is concerned with your suffering and with your struggle. Those issues in your marriage that after two or three decades, you still just can't seem to figure out, God is concerned about that. That child that you're, you're up late at night pacing back and forth in your living room, crying out to God for him to meet your son and meet your daughter, God is concerned about that. And he's at work, friend. I'm here to announce to you tonight that we serve a God who is concerned about our suffering. And he is at work in the middle of the darkest hours of your life. So God pulls Moses aside and raises Moses up and uh, from Exodus chapter one to 15, it's in the Prince of Egypt. Guys, go rent it if you haven't seen it yet. It's, it's amazing, okay? So I'm gonna fast forward into chapter 16. God, God calls Moses up and he begins to share with Moses the law. Now you have to understand here, this is a people that have been slaves for 430 years. They don't know how to govern themselves. They don't know hygiene they don't know good civil and social laws. They don't, know, uh, they don't know social government. And so God pulls them aside and he says, if you're gonna be my people, I need to give you what every good parent and every good teacher and every good pastor and every good coach gives their teams or their children. I gotta give you some boundaries. I gotta give you some rules. I gotta give you the law. So Moses goes up into the mountain and he has this encounter with God and he's up there, he's up there a while. And while he's up there receiving the instruction on how to turn a nation of millions of people that have been slaves for 430 years, while he's up there getting instruction on how to turn them into a family of self-governing sons and daughters, they are throwing the biggest block party known to humanity. I mean, just, just imagine like Moses is coming down from Pike, Pike's Peak and he gets like to the bar trail. I mean, he's looking down and Joshua, his little assistant is like, man, I think, I think I hear some bass bumping Moses. I don't know what's going on, but like something is happening down there. And the, 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 the more steps they begin to take, he looks out and there is a mass of people in just absolute revelry. I mean, utter rebellion. They're just throwing off all restraint. Now what Moses doesn't know while he's in the presence of the Lord is, that these people that God has gone out of his way to call his own and deliver, these are the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. These are, these are the great, great, great grandchildren of people that God has made promises to. 
They take off all of their earrings and their, their rings and their necklaces and their watches and, and they throw them into a fire and oh, about, there's a calf that comes out. How did that happen? By the way, when you read the story, this is exactly what Aaron tells Moses. I don't know how this happened, man. I don't know, he just threw stuff in and the cow came out. <laughs> Moses is infuriated. I mean, they're all just dancing and stripping off clothes and it's just, just nuts. He takes these tablets, guys, listen, that God has pulled out of Pike's Peak by himself. Like he just, pull, he just pulls out and writes these laws and gives them to Moses. Here, run a country with this. And Moses throws them down and shatters them completely. Can you imagine being Moses in this moment? One of my twin boys, I was telling you, he's the athlete of the family. His name is Kingston. A couple of years ago, he was trying to figure something out on our 60-inch TV and, and couldn't figure it out. So, I mean, you know, it makes sense to a six-year-old that if you can't figure something out and you got a remote in your hand, they just wind up and just throw this remote through the 60-inch screen because, of course, that's going to solve the problem, right? I was at work. Christy was there when it happened. She hears the shatter of the TV screen. She goes to Kingston and says, I think you're going to just want to lay low for a little bit, but you need to know dad's coming and I've told him. And his eyes are just like saucers. This is Moses. Because God in Exodus chapter 34 says, son, don't bring Joshua this time. Don't bring the goats. Don't bring the sheep. It's you and me, son. In Exodus chapter 33, there's this really, really beautiful interaction that God and Moses have. Because God's willing to say, you know what? I think I've pulled these guys out of slavery. I've done my part. Moses, you take them from here. And Moses begins to negotiate with the heart of God. And he says, listen, if you ain't going, I ain't going. Because <laughs> you ain't going to pull me out and make me lead all of these people without you. It's not quite how it went. Moses begins to tell the Lord, Lord, if you really want us to be your people and if you really want us to go with you, you have to promise me that your presence will never leave us. And in fact, as a seal and a sign of that promise, God, would you show me your glory? This is the, these are the last verses of chapter 33. Would you lead us back in to chapter 34? And this is what God says to Moses. Son, I will show you my glory. And you know what he does? He shows Moses his name, which is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I wanna to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the fact that your God, my God, is the God of compassion. The word here is a really fascinating word. The word compassionate is the word racham, R-A-K-H-A-M. Its root word is rahum, which is compassion. But what's fascinating about these two words is that they get their etymology from the word rechem, R-E-K-H-E-M, which is the word womb. So the word picture that God is trying to show us, and I need you to think about this, that of all of the words that God could use to self-describe, 
the very first word that he chooses to reveal is the God of compassion. And the word picture that he's trying to show us is the same loving, tender, protective care that a mother has for the most vulnerable thing that she's carrying within the deepest parts of her body. And this is the word that God chooses to self-reveal. I am the God of compassion. Yes, I'm holy. Yes, I'm just. Yes, I'm all-powerful. Yes, I'm wise. But at the foundation and the cornerstone of who I am, I need you to know that I am the God of compassion. The word compassion is such a fascinating word. When you look at different translations, what you'll see sometimes is the word to be moved with compassion or to be stirred with intense feeling. And so the working definition that I've given to the word compassion is very simply this. It is an intense emotion of care and concern for one another, especially the most vulnerable, that moves us to action. See, compassion is not sympathy. Compassion's not, oh, that's cute. Compassion's not, oh, Pastor William's here from Pakistan. That's, that's sweet. No, compassion is intense. Compassion is something that we feel in the deepest parts of our being, so much so that in many translations, particularly in the King James translation, the word is translated as your bowels. I, I like to use the word guts. Like what are you feeling in the guts of your being? That's compassion. There's this incredible story that we find in 1 Kings chapter 3 and the purpose of this story is actually to demonstrate the wisdom of God on a young king by the name of Solomon. How many of you guys know the story? Solomon is the third king in Israel's history. First there's Saul, then there's David. And David's son, Solomon, takes the throne at a very young age and he cries out to God for wisdom and understanding to rule this people that are so great. And God meets his prayer and he endows him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And the first test that he has as a king he comes up against these two ladies, neither of whom have husbands as far as we know. The scripture actually tells us that they're prostitutes. One lady has a baby. Three days later, another lady has a baby. And they're living in the same house. So I want you to imagine this. They're not covered, right? They don't have a man. They're alone. And in that culture, that is a very vulnerable place to be. In the middle of the night, one of the ladies' baby dies. Scripture tells us that she actually, is, she suffocates her child. And so what she does is she looks over and she sees the other lady and very craftily she, she sneaks over and she trades the babies out. So the lady who just suffocated her baby takes the living baby of the other lady that's in the room and the next morning they wake up and this lady realizes this is not my child. Listen, moms, you know who your baby is, right? When you're looking down on their face, tonight we just had child dedications. Well, I guarantee you that mom knows who Gabriel Joshua is. You know their scent. You know, the, you know, you, you know their eyelashes. You know their little nostrils. Like this mom knows who her baby is. And she looks down and goes, this is not my child. They go to the king, 
And I need you to imagine what Solomon is thinking. He's like, my God, this is my first decision as king. And these two ladies are standing before him and they're presenting their case before him. Oh, king, this lady's baby died and she traded out her baby for mine. And this lady's saying, no, this, this, this is my baby. No, king, this, this, is, this, is, this is not her baby. I mean, they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And King Solomon just leaning forward, scratching maybe if he has any hairs on his chin. And he's trying to discern. And inside, he's probably crying out to God, God, I need you to come through on this one. This is a big one. We gotta get this one right. And then a stroke of genius, or maybe we should say a stroke of Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom, he says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Hey, give me a sword. So they bring him a sword and he says, here's what we're gonna do. I want you two ladies to take that living baby and stretch it out. And we're just gonna cut this baby in half. Makes sense to me, right? Two moms, one baby. And we cut the baby in half, give one to each of you guys and we'll call it a day. And I want you to take a look right here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 26, because this is our word, compassion. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 26, the scripture says, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love. You know what that word is? That's our word, racham. It's compassion. Listen to the translation in the NIV. She was deeply moved out of love. In other words, this lady is saying, I would rather my baby live than be right. Even if it means that my baby doesn't live in my arms. Oh, oh king, spare the boy's life. The King James renders it like this, that she yearned in her bowels. Like in the deepest part of her being, she cries out, oh king, don't do it. Let the baby live. And the king says, I think we know who the mom is. Now this is a story about the king's wisdom, but I think it's a story about a mom's compassion. There's another story that we find in the scriptures when we want to understand this word compassion, it's found in Luke chapter 15. This is a New Testament story. So Jesus is teaching a group of people about how the heart of God rejoices when there is just one person who's far away from him who comes back into the house. And just in case there's anybody here in this room or anybody watching online who's never heard this story before, I actually want us to read the verses beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for what's mine. And in fact, we could probably translate this as the son saying, you know, dad, I care a little bit more about what you have than about who you are. I'd rather have the cash than the conversation or the communication or the friendship or the connection. Just give me what belongs to me. And in that culture, it would be as if the son were saying, you are as good to me as dead. Why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance now? You know, my kids, when, when they were young and, and they would try to you know, get what they wanted, it was cute. My daughter right now, she's 14, and some of the magic's worn off a little bit, but, you know, as my baby girl, 
and she bat her eyes and you, you, you know, the, the voice changes a little bit, the posture changes and dad, dad. Hey dad, daddy. I love it when they try to like sow the ideas inside of your head like Inception where it's like, you know, Dairy Queen sounds really good right now, doesn't it? <laughs> hey guys, hey guys, we're going to Dairy Queen tonight. You know, when they're young, that's cute and it's sweet, but, but when you're 18 or 24 or 30 and you're saying, hey, Dad, I just, just, just give me the goods, okay? And I'll be on my way. That's what's happening. That's what's happening with this boy. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. I mean, just, he didn't invest it. It's not like the father was, you know, in, in investing into real estate ventures. I mean, he just straight threw down and wasted it. Like, I think squandered in the Greek means squandered. It means like he just blew it with absolutely nothing to show for it, right? And he gets to this place where after he has spent everything that's given to him, the scripture tells us that after he spent everything, then there's economic recession. Then there's a depression. Then there's a meltdown. Then there's a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. Began to feel the consequences and the effects of the fact that he just blew everything that his father worked for. And I need us to get into the the narrative of this a little bit because it's not like the son spent his savings. You know, this dad, I'm sure, probably had things that he would have loved to spend on himself. I'm sure this, this dad said no to himself plenty of times. Practice delayed gratification, got his emergency fund in place, got the 90 days savings that are all set aside. I'm sure that the dad would have loved to gone out and have a party for himself or a new outfit or a new vehicle and the son blew everything that the father had saved. And then we find that he's so desperate that he goes out and he hires himself but he doesn't just hire himself to anyone. We have to understand the Jewish culture because in the Jewish culture, one of the most disgusting and unclean creatures that existed was the pig. And we find that the son hires himself out to feed pigs. And one day as he's deep in his desperation and deep in his hunger, he looks at these pigs and I think he just... I just imagine he's just watching these pigs go to town on all this slop and going, my God, what has happened to me? How did I get here? Then he has a striking realization that there are people that work for my dad that have it better than I have it right now. And they're not even sons. They're just servants. They got a warm bed and they've got a great meal and they've got a seat at the table and they've got shelter over their head. And I, I wonder, I wonder if I go back, I wonder if I go back, maybe dad would hire me because certainly it has to be better than what I'm doing right now. 
And so over the course of days, maybe weeks, who knows, maybe even months, the, the son, he's, he's preparing. He works up the speech and he goes, I, I, know, this, I know how this is gonna shake down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk up to him and I'm just gonna tell him, look, man, I know, look, I blew it. I blew it. I don't, I don't need a lecture right now. I get it. I'm just wondering, man, would you? I'm hungry. And I'm just wondering, man, would you let me come back in and would you pay me a little bit just to, you know, I don't need my old bed back. I don't need a seat at the table. I can sit with everybody else, but man, would you just give me a job? I can, I can start over. Just, I gotta get my feet up underneath me. He works up the plan. He says, all right, he, he musters up the courage and he's like, I'm, I'm doing this. Son heads back home. Verse 20 is the linchpin, I think, that tells us all that we need to know about who God is. Because the scripture tells us that when he was a long way off, the father saw him. Last week, Pastor Daniel, over and over and over again, where are you, where, where are you, where are you? Listen, when you don't even know where you're at, I need you to know that God knows where you're at and he's asking where are you, not because he doesn't know, because he's trying to get you to figure out where you are in relation to where he is. The father always knows where you're at. And when he was a long way off, you know what that tells me? It tells me that every morning when he woke up, that dad got out there on that porch and sat on his rocking chair and he just stared off into the horizon. Is today the day? I think today could be the day. Goes to bed, prays and intercedes for his son and wakes up the next day. Sits out there on the porch and he's watching over the horizon. Is today the day? The father was waiting, the father was watching, the father was looking, the father was longing. And when he was a far way off, I love this because it tells me, I mean, it could have been anyone who was out there on the horizon. The father knew the silhouette of his son. Scripture tells us that when the son comes, the father runs to him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. But I, I need us to go back, because I don't know if we, we caught this word here, because this is the word that we're trying to hone in on in the first part of verse 20. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion. The message says it like this. When he was a long way off, heart pounding, the father ran after his son, which means that he had to lift up his robe, exposing the bare skin of his ankles and his shins, which was undignified in that culture. And he runs after his son. His son's ready, man, he's ready, he's got it down, he's worked up his speech, hey, 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 let, let. I know. I just want you to know, I know that I screwed up. 
And notice that the dad isn't there with the folding arms. Told you so. You ready to listen to some common sense now? You ready, you ready to receive some wisdom, son? Father doesn't do that. Father doesn't even let him get his speech out of his mouth. He barrels down that path. He overtakes him, wraps his arms around him, and he says, son, listen, I don't need you to say a word. I don't need a reason. I don't need an explanation. I just need you to know that we have hope because you're here. Son, I need you to know that I can look into your eyes. And yesterday and this morning, I couldn't look into your eyes. Son, I just need you to know that I can, I can smell the scent coming off of your skin. I can run my fingers through your hair. And that's all that matters right now because I have an intense, burning love for you. That's your father. That's your God. That's my God. That's our God of compassion. Friend, I want you to know you don't have to work your way back into his compassion. His compassion is never failing. It's relentless. It is without condition. It is without explanation. And tonight, I think there's probably just one person who's here tonight that maybe you feel like, that's, that's, that's me. I'm that son, I'm that daughter. You know, Jesus wasn't trying to accomplish this per se. He wasn't necessarily trying to tell the story of the gospel, but, but I think that if he were to retell the story, it would sound something like this. I'm gonna take 60 seconds and then we can, we can pray. I think the story goes like this, where God leans over to Jesus and he says, son, I need you to go find the younger brother. And I don't care where he's at, and I don't care how long it takes, and I don't care what you have to do, but you get my son back home. You need to let him know that dad's not angry. Let him know that there's a warm bed here. Let him know there's a hot meal on the table and it's waiting for him. So son, will you do this for me? Will you go and will you find, will you find younger brother? Jesus says, yeah, dad, I'll do that. Jesus divests himself of all the glory of his father's house and he comes down and he finds the younger brother and the slop of humanity. And he comes and says, listen, you gotta get back home. Dad wants you. And saying, no, I've gotta pay this off. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, listen, listen. Dad needs you back home. So here's what we're gonna do. You just give me that pail. I'm gonna jump in here with you. I'm gonna take your place and you get home. Friends, that's the gospel. That's our story. Our story is that we have a God who loves us so deeply that he sent older brother to come and find us and take our place so that we could get back home because there's a party waiting for you. Friends, will you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for one second? Lord, tonight, and would you just maybe hold your hands out wide like this? I'm gonna pray that the God of compassion would kiss you tonight. I'm gonna pray that the God of compassion throw his arms around you, put a robe on you, sing over you and dance over you and run his fingers through your hair and whisper in your ears, I'm so glad you're home. Lord, tonight, we're so grateful.
that you have self-described as the compassionate one. And I am asking tonight that experientially and by the spirit of revelation, that compassion tonight would overtake every single one of us and that our eyes would be open to a God who loves us so intensely and so deeply that you chose to describe yourself in the same language of a mother who carries a baby in her very womb. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that is far from you, that feels dirty, that feels unworthy, if there's anyone here tonight that, does, that has never tasted of the goodness and the compassion of God, Lord, I pray tonight that Jesus would reveal the compassionate heart of God to every single one of us that are watching online and that are sitting in this room in Jesus' name. Church, would you stand with me tonight? Would you get your communion elements ready to receive? And if you don't have communion elements, raise your hand and our team will come quickly to you. The end of that story, when the father kisses the son and puts the robe on his back and the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet, he yells to all of his, his, his workers, he says, kill the fattened calf. <laughs> For my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now been found. And as we come to this moment at the table of the Lord, we're here to receive the meal that the Father has prepared for us to come home. And so tonight, Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for coming after us. Father, we give you thanks for being the compassionate one, the one who enwombs us. The one who dreamt us up, the one who brought us into life. And tonight I pray every bit of shame would be, would be rebuked. For those who are coming home, no shame, no condemnation. That you just slide right back into the seat at the table and let's go. And so tonight, friends, Jesus is with us. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that wafer there? He broke that bread and he gave it to his disciples. And tonight he reaches across the table and he gives it to you and he gives it to me. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, you remember what I'm like. You may receive the bread. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he looks his people in the eyes and says, this cup is the new covenant. Remember all that pigsty stuff? It's a new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. I don't remember that anymore. <laughs> That's not how I think about you. You're my daughter. You're my son. Welcome home. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood, given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you drink this, and some of you have known this, but you need to remember it tonight. Do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, you are clean. In Jesus' name, you may receive the cup. 
Now let's sing together. You dance over me while I am unaware. You sing.
with our hand, with our eyes closed, Lord, I'm amazed. Sing the bridge again, how wide and how deep. Come on, church. How wide. Oh, how Come on, church. of you who came in feeling stupid and shameful I say tonight welcome home (laughs) to those of you who came in here hungry and thirsty I say welcome to the dinner the fattened calf has been killed and the wine has been poured the the table has been set welcome home kids welcome home kids the father is for you tonight would you open your hands as I prepare to pray the benediction over you